and welcome to your new episode of Carpe Diem Podcast. Today I'm going to have a chat with Rifi Hamad from London, UK. Rifi is an award-winning film director, writer and visual artist who has had her work screen and exhibited in both the art and film world like The Times, Athens International Film and Video Festival, BFI Flair, ICA, Tribeca Arts Center and the Saatchi Gallery. She has trained as a visual artist from Central St. Martins and graduated as a film director at the NFTS, National Film and Television School, with a full scholarship from Channel 4. Riffy looks to tell stories of unlikely heroes we don't always see on the big screen, particularly frames around women, BAME, and diaspora identities. Her work cross blends between genres through visual forms of storytelling. Thanks for being here with us today. How are you? Uh, hi, I, I'm good. Thanks so much for asking me to join. Uh, I'm very well. Uh, considering the state of the world, I'm very well. <laughs> um, firstly, if you can talk about your background, what was the spark to start working as a video artist and filmmaker? And uh, how did you achieve this? So let's go back to the very start. Wow, that, that's going far back. <laughs> um, so it's really interesting. Okay, so basically to give you context, um, I originally wanted to be a painter. So I went to art school. Uh, I was at Chelsea School of Art. This is where I did my foundation. And I was convinced I was a painter or going to be like a stage designer in a way. Even though prior to that, I was kind of in performance doing photography. I was quite experimental at that point. Um, and I, I had this, you know, like you have like group uh, exhibition crit. And this tutor was like, oh, this is a terrible painting. And I was like, oh, my God, what? And then he was like, no, it's really not your calling. Like, I don't. Whereas when he saw my photography, he was like, have you noticed how filmic your photos are? They feel like they're a film still. And I, at that point, um, I'd loved films and I, but I never thought it was something tangible to me. I just thought it was so big. I couldn't go there. So I was kind of using other mediums to, to get there in a way. So it was like little stepping stones. Um, so then he gave me an assignment and said, I want you to make a film. And it doesn't have to, it could be anything you want it to be, but make a film. And so my dad at the time had bought me a Sony camcorder, which he got as a gift from someone. So he was like, I'm never going to use this. You go for it. So I got this camcorder and did this little story, which was about, um, it was based on a Simon Armitage poem called About This Person. And I basically shot in edit mode. So I basically shot everything chronologically because I thought I'm going to give myself a challenge. <laughs> it was so, like, if I look at it now, it's so cringe, but... <laughs> But ultimately, it was like the beginning of me realising the moving image was a step. And so when I did the film and I showed it to my class, they were like, wow, you, you really can tell stories. And it's really interesting because you're not you're making me feel something. It doesn't always make sense, but you're making me feel something. And that that um, that paired with my photography took me on a journey 
of where I started to start pushing the moving image. So uh, I then went on to Central St. Martins where I was basically doing kind of more installation abstract work. And when I say abstract, it's more like, um, it's like performance art with video. So it wasn't always narrative, but there was a narrative essence in terms of the feeling. So that, that happened how many years ago now? Oh my God, <laughs> like 13 years ago, 13, 14 years ago. And if I look at my journey now, oh my gosh, it's been massive, massive, massive journey. But, but that was the route, basically. Someone telling me my photograph can move. Have you ever thought about it? And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> and then how, how did it move from uh, studying visual arts? How did it go from there? How oh, long was that? Sorry. Oh God, I mean, I graduated from art school in 2008. So this is like 12 years ago. Um, oh my God, it makes me realize my age. <laughs> but, um, Come on. <laughs> but, but, no, but basically, um, I think, you know what? I think art school was really good training for me because I think it, in a way it's interesting how I feel there's a lot of thinking in my process now that I go back to the principles I learned in art school, which is about process, you know, the development, the evolution of your idea. So it's not always about the products. I think sometimes people get caught up in the final film product, but there's such a huge process, like critical process you go through. And um, so when I left art school, look, I was in that delusional state of like, I'm an artist, I'm gonna make it. Like, and <laughs> it so didn't work that way at all. Like if anything, um, what I did was is that I realized I needed more experience. And I needed to understand the filmmaking experience much better because it was just me and my camcorder and my computer where I edited. I was doing, I was kind of like a one-man band. And so I was like, okay, I need to start understanding what are these roles in film that make it a team. So I started um, basically running on a lot of production sets because I just was wanted to observe, like, what is this process? And... You know, when you see teams with like a big, like even like an AC, I didn't know what an AC was, a focus puller, none of this stuff. I was like, I just know records, you know, what else, what else do you need? <laughs> so it was, it was kind of observing, okay, how do I distill my vision now from me to working with other people and to take it to another scale? Because it was quite clear I'd reached a slight block where it was like, I can, there's a limit on what I can do myself. I know I can do a lot, but I, I need people, I need alliances. And so, yeah, basically I went on to running with this small production company at the time called Davies Inc. And I'm very grateful to them actually, because they were kind of like an up and coming company doing music videos and film. And I learned so much from them because they were different from me. So I came from an art world, they're coming from a more kind of commercial world that's a bit more also taking risks, I would say, in, in what they're doing. Um, but were willing, they were willing to give me a chance to like learn from their experience. And even though it was not great money, it was the experience that I was after. And to be honest, I would say I've, I've been a person I feel, I've had opportunities, but what I had to often do is create an opportunity for myself to be seen on a more wider context. So basically I'll take the limitations and use that as an opportunity to do something with it. And I think that 
I'm quite a grafter when it comes to filmmaking. Like, I work hard. And I'm, I'm not saying that, like, oh, I'm the best, but you do have to work hard and you do have to always be prepared to learn, evolve and get better and better. It's not just, like, you reach a plateau and that's it. I think you always take steps up. And basically, do you, do you want me to kind of get to where I got to now with it? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> basically, yeah. So I, I was um, production. I was uh, then became a production assistant. Um, and with this company, um, they liked the work that I was doing so much. Uh, one of the the owners of the company, which was Shane Davy, and he's a, a great friend of mine to this day. He asked me to co-produce a feature film, which was for a competition. We had to make an entire feature film in a month. And I was like, from scratch. From scratch. had to, So basically, all you got was the title. Uh, so you are given a title and you have to make the film. So that's shoot, edit, everything. Right as well. Yeah, exactly. So everything has to be done. The whole process of pre, post-production, everything. And I was like, oh my God, this is bonkers. How on earth are we going to do that? But it was such a great boot camp. Like, because we were given this title, The Horror of the Dolls. So I was already like, oh my God, like it's a horror film. Where's the context? He came up with this really cool story where it's basically about um, it's set in a council estate and uh, the local authority want to get rid of the tenants in the, in the estate because they're saying we're going to sell it off. And because we're, everyone's protesting, they send, in, they send in an assassin to start killing off the tenants. And the first one he kills is a doll maker and his blood goes into the dolls and they start warning, warning the other tenants and I was like it's kind of cool okay fine let's go for it and um and we won the competition because wow we basically smashed it like it, look I wouldn't say it would win an Oscar or anything but it was the exercise of going everybody hands on deck let's do something and I was like wow the power of like people that's that's quite cool like I really enjoyed that and on the back of that I then got hired um to manage uh, a film project in Birmingham, um, Manchester and London, which was kind of like for this race equality charity, but it was quite a big one where they needed 70 short films made over the space of a year. So it, that took me to, so in a weird way, from going from a creative, I kind of went into production to understand how things work. And then once I got a better sense of that, I felt confident to going to being a director again. So I was kind of doing things freelance. So you know the life of London where you do commercial stuff on the side and then you do your passion projects on the side. But um, but I would say in the last kind of three to four years, the big shifts that occurred for me was that um, I was um, selected for this emerging creative scheme with the hospital club. And it's like a year long scheme where you get like a mentor and a coach. And my mentor was um, Steve McQueen's art film producer. Pinky Gondel. And that was quite significant for me because she saw my work and she was like, I really can see you've got a lot of potential. But I feel like you I feel like you need to, there's something you need to develop more in your voice. So the suggestion came up about NFTS. And I never ever thought I could get into the school. Like I'd heard about it for years. I have friends who've been there, and I just thought me how would I get in there like I'm an art filmmaker I'm not even like a narrative classic um narrative filmmaker and she was like I think that's what's going to make you stand out actually so I took the punt and applied because she was like if you apply I'll, I'll recommend you and everything and I applied and then I actually got an interview and I was like oh my god 
I got into. And um, and when I went in my interview, it, if anything, it was more questions about how I make film. There was more questions about how have you done this? Um, because your work is so interesting. So there was almost a genuine interest. And, and I guess in my mind, I kind of thought, I think there was always this thing of like the art world and film world. Yes, we're seeing more hybrids of it now. And there has been for a while, but there was that part of me going, if, is it one side or the other, or can I be both? I had that dichotomy in me. Um, and so when I finally got offered the place, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a huge thing. So I, I did that basically for the last two years and I graduated in February. And I have to say it was, it was honestly the best thing I ever did because it's, and also at the age I am at, because I'm, I'm, I was a mature student doing it and I, I realised um, I wasn't going in there to wipe my voice away. I was going in there to enhance it. So I knew what my potential is. My potential is that I'm a very visual storyteller. I'm very, um, I'm really attracted by creating a feeling. And now it was about how do I elevate that feeling into storytelling? So now, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the post story is hilarious because I came out and graduated and then COVID freaking happened, which was just like, are you freaking kidding me after everything that's happened? But um, yeah, like I'm still very grateful to the journey because I can definitely see where I've progressed as a creative. So you think you achieve uh, to make some forms of films that uh, kind of progress your kind of visuals? Uh, settings. Yeah, I I would say basically like as soon as I came in, I, the key like note I was getting is that you are such a visual storyteller, and your strength is in is in the image. Like and and you can tell so much in the silence and the image of it. So I already I felt confident about that. It was now taking the step of like how do I because I often work with more non actors not professional actors. So this was now a situation where I'm like, okay, now I have to learn as a director how I get better at working with actors, how I get better at challenging the story. Because I've realised now, actually, development, the development process is so important. You have to interrogate your idea so much. And it can be so simple, but if anything, the interrogation is to get it to that simplicity. Because if it's simple... I, I found myself in the past overcomplicating my ideas sometimes. And what would happen is it would lose the essence. And actually, if you strip it to the core and go, this is what it's about, it becomes very simple to approach. So I found, I think now as a director, when I look at a script, I can straight away go, what is this about? What's going on? And what's the character feeling? What's their, what's their desire? What's going to be against them? These are not questions that I would never ask before. I'd just be like, what's the feeling? And now I feel like I've, I've stepped up by going, what's the feeling, but what are they, what are they looking for? And what am, I, what am I going to focus on here? Um, and actors don't terrify me anymore. I was terrified when I first like met actors. I was like, oh my God, they're gonna like <laughs> they're gonna be really annoying. Or it's like having children. And it is like having children. But at the same time, I respect their craft so much because it is not easy to be your own business. It's not. If anything, I've had um, a huge respect for it. And also theatre directors, oh my God. Like during NFTS, I got to direct one play. 
I have so much respect for theatre directors now, man. Before I used to think it was a bit, don't get me wrong, like a bit pretentious, but now I'm like, oh my God, you can't cut. You have to think A to Z. Whereas in film, we're spoiled because we're like, okay, we can frame this. This is the scene. Da, 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 da. Whereas in theatre, you've got to maintain right to the end. Like you might have a break. Okay, sure, the matinee. But from the moment the play starts to it stops, it's going. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I've, I've definitely, yeah, it's opened my eyes. <laughs> and um, that, that's interesting, you know, that um, you, you say that you want to be more visual on, uh, on filmmaking, which I think is kind of the, the origins of, of cinema. Uh, you know, it's visual. Like you, sh you sure. should tell more by image, by uh, interposing uh, different elements uh, to explain rather than explain with words, which to me is more kind of connect to uh, TV series, maybe, which are sure. more kind of more narrative, strong. But I, I, I have no. That's my type of filmmaking or cinema. You know, it's mm. the one is first visual. Uh, you know, the actors act different way from theater you know they have to act because they know they have a camera so yeah. that's that's the difference you know the less is more like the mm. the lesson was from Brisson you know interiorize and well, yeah theater you have to exteriorize everything so exactly. the more you keep inside and and you leave less to the audience the more the audience kind of feel the totally. character and the pressure so it's so important it's it's hard job for a director you know try to find that kind of balance and yeah of course leaving the actor as well to 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 be part of it and bringing his own parts and accepting that and you know making sure that's integrated to the story yeah but you know that's the difference you know between when it's good experienced actor you know can bring on top 100 percent, yeah and also that look no actor is the same every actor approaches acting in a very different way. And, I, and I, I think, for me, what I often try to do when I work with actors is straight away figure out who are they. Because you get actors who are like sponges. They will, they will almost precipitate what is needed. They, they live and breathe it. They're like totally immersed. And I'm like, great. Then you have actors that are very objective driven, who are like, you just need to get, give them a clarity of what that is. And um, yeah, there's, there's a few examples I can tell you of like where... I've had to use complete opposite notes to an actor because I realised what I think should work didn't work. So I had to tailor it where it was like, I know you work this way, your brain works this way. So um, uh, I did this film called Ya Abani, which is um, in Arabic, the translation is You Bury Me. And it's about this woman who is, basically she's uh, she's completely blocked out an aspect of her mind which is the loss of her son so she's completely disorientated and you think she has this very happily happy family life but something's not quite right um and her fat every time she sees a family member they're reacting to something she can't remember basically so I remember when i was doing notes with her and giving her notes right i talked to her about grief i talked to her about family nothing was working because in her mind i, I found she was giving me more bite it was more like, oh, but, you know, family can sometimes betray you. Family can do this, da, 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 da. And I was like, oh, shit, this is not going to work. And I remember we were smoking outside just before quite, uh, like, 
this significant turn, turn, turn or shift that's going to happen in the scene. And I thought, okay, bingo, I know what I'm going to do. So I, I looked at her and I was like, do you trust your husband? And then she looked at me and she was like, why do you ask me that? And I was like, well, I think he knows where your son is. And she was like, right. And I was like, and I, and I think he might be hiding him, but he's not telling you why. So I had to make her believe that her own husband and daughter were keeping her son away from her. And the reaction she gave me was the genuine shock and disarray of a woman who is so desperate to find her son. For all of a sudden, it became real to her that he's missing. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting. Like, even I, I genuinely was like, okay, interesting, because all the notes I did before, nothing worked. We talked about, like, how do I excavate into your feelings about loss? I had to make her feel she's lost, basically. And the performance she gave me was, like, incredible, incredible. But that, that's where you see the power of an actor. As soon as you work them out, you can get, like, just diamonds from them, basically. And intuition from a director as well to give the kind of notes, but yeah. You know. <laughs> instincts. It's all about instincts, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's an important, important bit, you know, because as I always repeat, you know, uh, one of my students as well, that, you know, there's nobody else looking after performance than the director. So at the end of the day on set, you need to focus on that because yeah. if the performance doesn't work, uh, then the film doesn't work either. You yeah. Know, it doesn't. So how to extrapolate that from an actor, that's that's an art, you know. Mm. Um, okay, now uh, let's go back a little bit um, to your background as well. Do um, you want to talk to us a little bit about your family heritage as well, if yeah. that kind of heritage kind of influence your work? I think I've seen, um, I've seen your work, I've seen your shorts as well, I've seen the one we were talking as well now. And I can kind of see mm. how that strongly as well yeah. as part of your filmmaking. So you want to tell us a little bit? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I, so I, I'm, I'm British. I was born in Manchester, um, but I, I come from like a, a mixed heritage family. My, my father's from Bahrain and my mother's from Bangladesh. So at school, I was known as Arabangi because... I was half Asian, basically, which is not a it's it's not a combination you see a lot, basically, because they're two communities that are very different. Um, and so, yeah, I think what uh, the those for me, I I found it's been very important for me to permeate some of the diasporic experience in films because um, there's so many stories I can tell you when I was growing up that me and my brother and sister talked about so much because, um, you know, my parents grew up in their countries. They then came to the UK in the 70s. And I also travelled a lot as a child because of my father's job. So I've always been fascinated by people. I'm just fascinated by how people think, how a culture can be present, how it dominates their values. Because I know growing up between two, how confused I was. <laughs> most of the time knowing what was right and wrong and so because of that I really I really like to make films that kind of touch on the subject of belonging how you how you see yourself how you identify the question of like who you are and like how you survive and basically make films where when people see them 
they don't feel alone, that they can see themselves in it. And that's really important for me because often I've watched so many films where I'm like, mate, that's my life. I get it. Like, oh my God, how did they do that? And and I and I find I think that's really important for me is to to do films that people can see themselves in or at least see a crisis or see something happening where they're like, I can identify with that. Even if I don't agree with it, there's something about that feeling that I've been through. And look, my last few films, being frank with you, a lot of them have been about grief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and it's because I had quite a big thing happen in my life, which was um, my brother passed away very suddenly five years ago. And culturally, culturally it was a shock, but also just emotionally because um, it basically in the siblings, it's a brother and two sisters. And the cultures I come from, losing a son, the attitude is then your family's gone. Even if you're women there, you're gone. Like, that is the attitude. Your brother's gone, so it means that you guys have no life. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. Like, that is absolutely crazy. We are here, and we are part of our brother, but we're here. And for that reason, um, I wanted to look at look at those kind of... Uh, why those thought processes come about and also why it overshadows something as strong as grief. Because grief, it's not an explainable feeling. Um, It's a hard one, it's a very hard one, but I think it's something that everybody goes through. Everybody can say there's something I felt in my life. Um, and, And to be honest, I would say it's in the last three, four years I've had the courage to actually talk about it. I don't think I had the courage before because I guess I was trying to figure myself out. Who who am I? How do I feel about my roots? Um, because it was very confusing when I was growing up. You know, I, um, being frank with you, uh, like I, I'm, I'm very proud of both my roots, but they are very different roots and they have d- very different languages. Um, and for that reason, I'm excited now by the challenge of doing something in Arabic, doing something in Bengali, or even another language. I'm excited by the challenge of going, you know what, I want to immerse myself into a culture. I want to understand and not and not kind of do the thing of making stereotypes. That's not my thing. Um, if anything, it's trying to flip, flip it on its head and look at, like, why aren't we on TV being represented as just, like, normal people kind of thing? <laughs> so, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, my roots... My roots also are important to me in the sense that my mother's family um, are very creative. They're, they were writers, they're poets. My, my, actually, my grandfather, he was a doctor and he was also a puppet master in the first ever film of Bangladesh. So wow. I'm, I'm very proud of that route because the first ever movie of Bangladesh, my grandfather's in this. So now that I make films, I'm like, this is awesome. Like, it's, you know, there's something in the family. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all connected, is it? Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and I think, I think also I, I feel, like, I feel like I'm proud of the fact that as, as a woman, you know, I'm, I'm taking, it's not, I, I'm very proud of the fact that as a woman, I'm like taking the risk and challenging myself to do these because for many years, Luca, I had so much resistance from my family saying, this is not a career. This is just a dream. And and it, I can now say like my parents both are now like, we get it. 
like I've shown them my films and they're like, oh my God. Whereas for years I never showed my parents my work. I just didn't think they've ever got it kind of thing. And now they're like, it's a profession. They, they, they appreciate it. They respect it. Yes, they're, they're sometimes worried about the instability of it because it is unstable. But um, because I've celebrated something of them, I think they were like, oh, wow, I didn't know you could do that. Um, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, if anything, deeply grateful to my family because... In a way, you know, like the rebel in us when we're teenagers or young people fighting against our parents. I'm kind of glad they made it hard for me because I wouldn't have fought so hard. You know, and um, and now they're at a place where they can respect it. So in a way, I've earned a respect and I'm not I'm not I'm not looking for more. I'm just like, just respect. This is what I do. And they're like, we get it. That's great. That's great. I kind of became kind of mature relation now you know i'm a professional in this you know and uh, i also celebrate our cultures so yeah that's they should be very proud of <laughs> mm, mm. yeah because like, my mom didn't even know that there could be an arabic sci-fi like she was like what the fuck that is so cool <laughs> and look my brother <laughs> like my brother loved sci-fi movies so that's why i took the challenge i was like okay, oh, okay. why don't i do like a sci-fi like drama why not and um, yeah, it wasn't the most spectacular production, but at least I felt I made those characters believable. That was the key thing. Um, and and, and I, I, yeah, I basically want that more people can see that they can put themselves, a little bit of themselves and their roots in their work. Yeah, that's, that's interesting kind of mixed in that film. Um, yeah, there should be more. There should yeah. be more. There's lots of mixed heritage in, in, in UK and yeah should be a bit more kind of brave and mm. you know I kind of buy you a little bit more guys if you can see you have a mix you know and, and definitely make kind of make you special mm. uh, when you, you're gonna express something in the culture of your culture between the modern kind yeah. of England so it's very beautiful um, about your uh, your visual visual language, you know, how yeah. do you think? How do you create that? Um, is anything like artists or anything else that influence you at the beginning and push you to become one of them as well, apart from your heritage? Or yeah, of course. I mean, art for me, I think it's about framing and perspective, and framing and perspective, but also about feeling i think i'm very driven by feeling any kind of um so whenever i for example if i have an idea i'm always going to galleries i'm always um looking at uh it, it can be so many different things whether it's even like a design magazine for a texture feeling uh whether it's stills or photography so i'm, I'm always looking out for inspiration but when i do uh what drives it is thematically what what is the feeling here? Is there darkness? Is there light? Is, there, is this a kind of story where there's going to be energy, where it goes from a space uh, of um, um, ambiguity to clarity? Um, and so, yeah, my, my first point whenever I get creative is I look through, I just watch loads of films or look through photo books. 
it's like anything that's visual basically i'm like sucking up like oh what's this what's that and even on instagram like lately my my biggest addiction is instagram because there are so many cool little videos you get on there and little textures of it like and i'm posting like constantly saving 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 because there's something i saw that's like oh that's interesting so i i would say i try to be a sponge and i don't mean that in a way where i steal stuff it's more like a sponge of like what what's uh um stimulating my senses and then how do i get that into a form it's and kind so of new, finding new feelings and and it kind of like oh wow I mean, that's that's kind of the achievement of an artist is it like putting your audience on on a place where um, they're not comfortable it's kind of new and they kind of okay i never thought i never felt about that and then maybe later after a while you think again about that and that's maybe okay maybe i should investigate that and yes that's, exactly that's the way maybe you you start because i got those feelings you know as well when i go around the exhibitions and you know, and seeing some authors or music, and it's, mm. it's actually, you know, maybe knowing more than one art, like uh, you can take some feelings of that and move it towards your kind of specialization. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Because it's like, yeah, like you can, there could be just a painting you see, and you see this painting, and you're like, like, for example, um, I don't know if you've seen Francis Bacon's last painting has been finally, it's going to be open to the public to see. And it is incredible, this painting. It's basically a bull that is going backwards into a door. And it's about death. This is the image he was thinking. Basically, the, the half of the bull is like out and with flesh and the one past the door is getting skeletal. It's this void. And and I, I thought so many interesting ideas just looking at that, like, wow, like this is such a strong image. It's powerful. There's lots of layers and and so, yeah, I think often whenever I come up with an idea, so I'm always, I always have a note notebook. I'm always writing stuff or because I'm so dyslexic, I have this app called Drafts. Um, if I have an idea, I basically speak it and it types it for me. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that that is like been my thing lately. Like sometimes my flatmates think I'm talking to myself. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's just an idea. <laughs> But like, basically, um, so yeah, it, I, and I also draw. So like, this is one thing that I maintained from my art roots is I still draw if I see an image, because sometimes I might have an image in my mind, very clear, and I'll just draw it and look at, or try to find an image source that reflects that image. And then what I do is, is look at what is it about this image that I'm trying to, to build? What is the universe I'm building from this? And sometimes it's very simple. Sometimes it could be a, a very simple moment that I'm trying to capture because I'm still uh, very much doing my kind of visual art pieces, which are much more, uh, they're not necessarily narrative driven. They're much more, there's a simplicity. It might be a frame, it might be a moment. Um, it might be a performance art piece, but it's captured in film. Um, so what I do is, is that, yeah, I kind of build up a like, little uh, scrapbook of ideas. But when it comes to developing and structure, what I do is I will have the room covered in post-it notes. It's like organized freaking chaos. Um, and in a way, actually, I, I, th I always say it's really important. I say for myself anyway, it might be good for others as well, is I think because of technology, 
people get used to just going like this, right? I think it's sometimes so important to just not have anything to do with technology. Get back to basics. If you need to colour, if you need to write, if you need to do this, you need to connect with your inner child sometimes to release whatever that idea is. Um, I also love going on walks. Like walks is also like my meditative point of like thinking about stuff. And also music. I've found lately like I've been listening to a lot of soundtracks lately or and actually since I was a teenager, whenever I listen to a song, it always made me think of a feeling or a moment. So whenever I feel, hear a song and I feel something, I just note down what I felt just because so, there might be something like, OK, maybe there's something it'll be connected to later. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, there's I'm, yeah, I get stimulated by loads of things. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and how, how do you feel this transition from visual art to filmmaking? Like, did, it was kind of, I guess it's kind of natural to you. Yes. Uh, well, yes and no. Yes and no. Because I think, um, basically, I think, I think I'm very glad that I, what I tried to do is trust my instinct. So when I, for example, when I initially came to NFTS, when I started showing them some of the stuff I was doing, they were like, what the fuck? They were like, wow, like, what is going on here? But every single tutor were like, but you're making me feel something. I don't understand. Like, I don't understand the story at all, but I feel something. I feel this is about transformation. And I'm like, that's exactly what it's about. It's about a character transitioning. And it's not explainable, it's a feeling. And it's about um, the states they're in emotionally that's not vocal, because they don't even know how to explain it kind of thing. And, um, and so, so what I would say that I felt you have to do a little bit or a little, be a bit more clearer in, in the filmmaking process is that what is your intention, especially in terms of a story? You've got to be a bit clearer because and, and actually, what I've also realised, going backwards, because it's an interesting point I've realised recently, actually. Um, so in filmmaking, you have a very distinct process of, like, get the script, get it developed to a place that it can be shot. Once it's shot, then it's edited. Technically, you're having three, three writings of your story. And you have to make sure the spine that is carrying all of this, it's like, I would say it's like the skewer that carries a kebab, basically. It has to be freaking solid. <laughs> because otherwise, um, it, it could come out in a very, very wrong way. And I, um, I realised, like, that process is so crucial. What I found fascinating is how many conversations I had with filmmakers who were like, Riffy, what do you do, though? as an as a experimental filmmaker is really actually difficult like to me i find it very difficult what you do and i was like that's so weird because i find it really easy and i think it was because we the, the conversation is that to abstract to abstract something you really have to know what's real once you know one thing that is real it's very easy to abstract the form if you don't know what's real in the first place abstraction doesn't quite work. So like, I remember I read this uh, really interesting interview with uh, Michelle Gondry about Eternal Sunshine, because you know, that film, it goes in so many places. But he said, but if, if um, 
Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet were not real. Their relationship had to be real to take them to those places. So as soon as I knew that they were believable, I could do whatever I want. And I was oh, like, yeah. that's so true. It's so true because if they didn't have that chemistry, I don't think the film would work. Yeah, that's that's amazing. It's, sometimes it's, it's more about the characters, really, you have on the screen, and then you know, and then if the characters are right, you know, the the audience will come anywhere with you. With those yeah. characters, it's true. Like, uh, and I kind of agree as well. Like, it's about the feeling, you know. Mm. Uh, you need to extrapolate the feeling, and you know, make sure you get the feeling right. Yeah. Um, and that's what you what you meant is the same of um you know as, as a painting or a song and, yeah know, it's, it's a feeling at the end of the day so that has to be that has to be real like if that feeling is real you can go with it but if that feeling if you're not certain about what that is it won't start off in the right way and i still believe that because for me i think because i i genuinely believe there's there's no one way in the filmmaking process everybody has many many different ways um, you know, I've, I've worked with other creatives who have such a distinct writing process or have a distinct, you know, uh, quite methodical in a way. And for me, I'm always looking for that clarity of what that feeling is. If I'm absolutely clear, I can take it anywhere I want and I know where to to be um, able to transcend that in the process. Um, and, you know, I, I'm... I wouldn't say I'm methodical at all. I would say I have days where I'm absolutely locked away doing something or not nothing at all. <laughs> but I embrace that because I um, I sometimes uh, will have a crisis moment where I'm like, what is this about? What is this about? And then I'll be absolutely intoxicated and in love with it. And it's because uh, each day there's been a different process of extrapolation, development, da-da-da-da. Um, and, and I guess... I would say to people is don't be afraid of it. It's actually one of the most beautiful things you can do. It, yeah, it's, it's like, it's, go on, sorry. It's the flow, right? Yeah. So you, you kind of need to go with the flow. You can't, I don't think how much, how, I mean, you know, you need to know when to ignore it to achieve yeah. something, to be a bit more kind of consistent, but yeah. Also, the flow is very important to influence you and to bring you somewhere. Maybe you will discover something. Otherwise, you know, you need to keep your ear kind of open. Yeah. And see what's going on. So, like, it's good to have a kind of schedule and idea of what you want to achieve in an amount of time. But exactly. You know, the day can be can be varying. You know, I might be working the whole weekend until four in the morning uh, if I want. You know, instead. <laughs> yeah. Because I think deadlines are good. Like, so what I do do is I do create deadlines on myself because I think it, it, it makes me reach for something. Um, and I try to be realistic with those deadlines. Like I know what I'm capable and not capable of. But like my best analogy for filmmaking would be what I try to make it now is that I'm I try to envisage like what um, Leonardo da Vinci did in terms of envisioning a statue. That statue's in my mind. I have to achieve that statue. Film production, like, so your development is towards this, this image. Film production is the slab of marble that is brought to you, the material, what you achieve, the building of it. And then editing to me is sculpting to the statue. And I try to look at it as that process is like an art process of, of like, how does that 
that link to each one because in the edit you may well find it is exactly your statue or even better or negative you know or it's a mix of things um so there's a unpredictability in your image that could change but as long as you're clear about what that is for you it can, it can flow and uh do you think there's a kind of team line um, in your work between visual art and filmmaking now? And uh, how, how do you confront the two of them? So, yeah, I think I would say there is... Are you still you know, kind of trying to discover that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, I'm discovering it, but also... I think it's also knowing that you can't, I feel now you can't put a label on the form. I think uh, long for a long time there was a label. So you know, when you look at the journeys of someone like Steve McQueen, you know, who I respect phenomenally. I love this, this man and his work. And um, his journey from, um, and, and how he still very much is a hybrid of those worlds. He knows what is art and he knows what is his film. He knows, uh, and he also knows when it's in between. And I think it's because he's not focused on labeling it. He actually um, did a masterclass where I loved what he said. He said, I basically walk into the dark because I fear the dark. So I do, I walk in anyway. I, I try things. I don't try to be anything. I try things. And I think, I think that's the way, that's the best attitude to have. Because otherwise what happens is I certainly know the, the battle I had in the past was thinking, I, am I one or the other? And I kind of was limiting myself thinking that way because then I'm thinking I need to operate a certain way as an artist and I have to operate a certain way as a filmmaker. And I, I don't think it's true. I think you can very much be a hybrid, but you have to be confident enough with your voice that you're willing to try things and you're not scared of it being interpreted. I think that's what it is. People get scared of their work being interpreted in different ways or it being labeled into something else. But I think, I think now, if anything, it's the most fearless time to be. And, um, uh, and, and we're seeing so much more. I mean, even on TikTok, it's crazy. These kind of like apps that are coming out, people are actually making really interesting stuff because the lim it's almost weird this cycle of like limitation brings out the creativity and so and now everybody ha like has a, a camera on their phone there's kind of like no excuses anybody can make anything but i think um it's it's making sure you align your thought or at least be clear with your intention to know how to use it kind of thing um so yeah i would say it's i'm at a place now where i i feel like I'm in the river of the two and I'm, I'm fine with it, you know, and I can, I can, I can mediate it when I need to, but I'm not so, I'm not looking to be defined as one or the other anymore. Yeah, that's good. I think, I think you, you, you can achieve kind of your own voice now, kind of, you can kind of more dig in and develop yeah. in the future. And, uh, yeah, we're talking about your creative process as well. Um, how it starts, but how hard is um, to be happy with a finished product? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh my God, Jesus. 
Oh, that's such a good question. And it's such a hard one. Um, okay. This is I know because I'm, I'm, I'm really very, very extremely picky, you know. Probably because <laughs> of my job as well, you know. You want to look at a picture. And you of want course. to know that. I'm going to look of at that course. picture in 20 years. I still want to, you know, to become you a You want to do of. something to it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I think basically, right, it's so interesting, this question. Because, okay, so my last film I did. So my last film, Asrab, which is, um, which means a Mirage. It was my grad film for NFTS. And, um... This is probably the most linear story I have ever done. And I was freaking out because I've never done something so linear. I've That's always a, been... That's a rap, right? Yes. Yeah. And um, I was very nervous about it because it's, it's, a, it's a coming of age drama. And, um, and, you know, I'm used to the abstract. I'm used to playing with form, time. Whereas in this story, you have a time limit because it's all happening in a day. Uh, if anything, you have to achieve a pacing because it's in the desert. So there's a sense of time that is almost endless and, you know, just, you know, it, it's slower and faster at different times. So in the edit, God, oh my God, like it was, I mean, and this thing is it's, it's accepting at one point that your film could get edited in a million different ways. Yeah. And there comes a point where you have to let go. <laughs> You have to let go. And I found that really hard because it was like, do I? But hold on, maybe we could do this. Maybe we could do that. And even my editor was trying to do that. But I think there comes a point where the moment I was able to let go was when I felt emotionally I had reached, I had reached the point it needed to reach. I couldn't elevate further from that. And that was the key thing. As long as emotionally it got to this place, that's the most important thing. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I love the editing process. I, I think it's, uh, this is in, in fact, you know, this is where the tapestry, this is where the statue starts to become a reality. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not an easy one because in a way also, this is a place where you as a director also see how has your work paid off. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like, it's either a moment of euphoria or absolute crisis because you're sitting there going, oh, shit, I've got the eyelines wrong. And even for me, eyelines, I still get wrong. I'm just terrible at it. When people are like, oh, it's crossing the line, this and that, I'm like, I just make it look right, please. I don't understand. That's when <laughs> you trust your cinematographer. That's when I'm like, please, you do this. That's their job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but I mean, you, have... you don't have to. You don't have to. You can, you can make your own, you know. I always mm. say, like, once you know the rules, like, forget them, you know, if it works for exactly. you. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's the thing. I think once you learn them, you can break them. You can totally break them. Uh, so that's a really good point, actually, because I think even in the editing, so I would say, what, what I would say is the editing process is a beautiful playground. To re it's an absolutely insane playground where everything can change from tone to the intention of a character. It could be a completely different movie, in fact, in how you touch the material, because um, it, 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 it's the way you weave it, it's the way you structure it. And that's why I say, like, when you, the filmmaking process is, is technically three, three processes of rewriting, in a way. And if the core is, is there, then it will maintain. But you'll find in the edit, it will either lift, or it goes in the middle, or it goes down. And, um, so yeah, what I found in my last editing process that it was insane 
because it could have got edited in so many different ways. But but what kept it, I guess, in the end was it's being told from the perspective of a character. So that's one thing to bear in mind as well is like when you're when you're you're right, especially in shorts, I think. It's very hard to do multiple perspectives in shorts, I think. That's not saying it can't be done. But so what I chose to do was to focus it from a character who's observing the others. And but then, you know, when you look at um, Korean films, I think they are sublime in how every single character gets a perspective and and a point of view. So... I think if you kind of make those rules for yourself, like some people decide to go very formulaic where they go, it has to be this, it has to be that. But I, like you said, I think it is about knowing the rules and knowing when to break them and knowing when, also knowing that the rules don't necessarily make a better film. Yeah. It could actually damage your film because you might have thought it needs to be a certain way. So um, if anything, it's almost like looking at what did I achieve and what is it I need to elevate? So in the end, what made me let go was the feeling. I was like, I think we've reached the feeling and and that's good enough for me. But yeah, <laughs> I could have done with another edit day, sure. <laughs> you can do millions of uh, alternative editing. <laughs> of the same too much. It's too much. Like, <laughs> and, and do you want to... Now at this point, like you want to talk to us about uh, your latest projects, so maybe like Al Sarab, like um, how how did the how did it form this idea? So basically, um, yeah. So Al Sarab, which so basically the story is inspired on um, what happened to my uncle. So my uncle was a captain of ships. Um, he traveled all over the world. And basically, whenever he settled somewhere, he would have a family and then he'd bugger off somewhere else. And um, and base, uh, what happened was, is that uh, about eight years ago, he ended up in he ended up in Romania and he was uh, basically financially in dire straits. Like he had nothing. Um, but when he so when he died, uh, we found out that he had three children that didn't know about each other. Wow. So, and it's kind of an insane story because we, what it was, he knew about them, but they didn't know about each other. So we'd contacted them and said, look, your father's died and his, this is his funeral and you have to go because it's Islamically, you have to do it within 48 hours. And these three strangers turned up, basically. So it, it's essentially about three strangers that become a family for a moment. That's and yeah, and I, I it's found it's very that, touching. <laughs> yeah, I found it really powerful. I found it really powerful that because on one hand you're asking why have you come? You don't know this person, and and it's and there's so many questions. I'm sure you know each of them have because he's still their father. You know, there's anger, there's different emotions each of them are feeling, and what it was. You know, my uncle was a very interesting man because he was um, very intelligent, very handsome. Um, but wherever he went, he was kind of a chameleon because he would like, so for example, he changed faith three times. So he was a uh, Catholic, uh, Muslim Sufi and Muslim Sunni. And so all three come from these different faiths. 
<laughs> and I thought, oh, wow, this is hilarious because, and the youngest son, um, so basically Al-Sarab is to told from the youngest son's perspective. And I thought his story was um, an interesting point of view because he looks exactly like his father, but he's the most different from his siblings because he grew up in Belgium. Um, he grew up Catholic. He has no idea what the Muslim world is like. He has no idea. He's never been into a desert. So we, sh we shot this film in Morocco, in the desert. And my reason for wanting to do it in that kind of landscape is that the landscape is a character that is omnipresent all the time. It's the father. It's how he feels about his father. You left me, you know? Oh, wow. I didn't, you know, I don't know who you are and I'm having to walk stretches of land to find you. And so... And so when these two other siblings, which is Amna and Raid, uh, meet him, they're, they're first taken aback by how much he looks like their father, but they realise how different he is. And you've got basically this character, Jan, who, who's the youngest son in a situation where he has to pick up culturally what's going on very quickly. And um, so that means like he has to help washing a body. He has no idea how to do this. So it's like, I've never met my father and now I'm having to actually like wash his body. This is crazy. Um, and, and you can see there's kind of repressions each one have held. So I would say Raid, who's the oldest son, he's angry at his father because he left and he had to very much pick up everything the family, his family had to do. And his attitude seeing Jan and Amna is that he left me for you guys. So I was never loved. And I'm just here for the money. I just want to know what he left us. You have Amna who basically has always known that her father was dead. She never knew he was alive. So knowing that he was alive, it was like, oh my God, I could have had a life with him. Um, so she came out of respect. And the youngest son, he's come really out of curiosity because... Every time his mum scolded him, she would say, oh, you, you're just like your father. And he's a man looking at himself in the mirror going, I look like someone I don't know. And I want to know who he is. So he came very much out of curiosity, but also guilt in a way of like, could I have done something more to reach out? Because he's kind of a nomad in life. And so you've got these three misfits, basically, <laughs> in the desert, in a situation where they start to build an unlikely connection and, and that is their father and their roots. And there is tension, there's conflict because, you know, Ray doesn't like the youngest son. He's intimidated seeing there's another son because he's thinking then I have to share my money with this other guy. And, um, and then, you, but what happens is, is as the story progresses, when it comes to actually burying their father, there's just, um, just for one moment, they let go. It's like, shit, we lost our dad. And it's actually about this. And, and the tragedy of that story is that they never met again. That was the first time they met and, and that was the last. But oh, wow. just for one moment, a constellation happened. And I thought, that's so beautiful that this is a moment they'll always remember. And I think, I think their father would have been very happy with that because he couldn't, he didn't have, in a way, he didn't have the courage when he was alive. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was not, it was not an easy film to make, I tell you that. <laughs> because, oh, you know, shooting in a 40 degree desert was hard. And also, it, we did not have a big budget at all. Uh, because, you know, uh, for our grad projects, we get 
a decent budget but not that much um already they were like you want to go to morocco are you freaking crazy this is not possible and in the end what i had to do is do all the exteriors in morocco and do all the interiors in high wickham but you would never know because no, the production i was designer. actually questioning myself like, it looks pretty good yeah, yeah. that looks good you know the texture <laughs> the walls and i was like ah, that must be shot in the uk <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, so good. Yeah, 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 well, yeah. well done. <laughs> uh, thanks. I mean, to be honest, it was it was harder shooting here because it was the hottest weekend in 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 the UK, and it was actually harder than when we were in Morocco. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Because in, yeah, because in Morocco it's it's drier heat, so you just feel like a camel carrying water all the day. But it was it was definitely um, an amazing opportunity. Like, and also I was very pleased we were able to do it in the sense that it was definitely my largest scale I've done. I've never done a scale where it's such a vast land in a way. So, um, so yeah, that's the current, that's the recent film I've done. At the moment I'm looking at developing that film into a feature. Oh, great. So that's why you're writing at the moment. Yeah, that and <laughs> I have another story, which I'm also, it's basically, I'm looking at whether it's going to be a feature or a TV series um <laughs> it's it's a black comedy oh, nice. uh black comedy thr black comedy thriller gothic romance yeah i guess you're gonna make it work of course <laughs> be able of to. course of course but it's, it's basically about a couple that want to break up but they're ghosts so yeah they kind of it's yeah, they're kind of in a very odd situation because basically my, my opening line to it was if you, if you woke up in the afterlife with your ex, would you want to evaporate or would you want to be with them for eternity? <laughs> and everyone was like, evaporate, evaporate. And I was like, yeah, these guys are having a tough time. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it's about basically a couple who are ghosts. They're haunting this house and the, the current couple who live there, they have this amazing dog who is like their child, and the dog can see the ghosts. Not the other couple, not the couple though. So they start gaslighting the dog to the point that the alive couple can help them to try and get someone to break the universal thing that's holding them. Um, but when they do bring someone, they bring a freaking exorcist and it, shit gets really bad. <laughs> so so, um, yeah, so basically I'm writing on that at the moment and it's, no, it's been really, really fun actually because, um, like tonally, like to be honest, like after watching a lot of, um, films like The Host, Parasite, Lady Vengeance, and, uh, it's, it's given me a lot of stimulus about, I'm very interested to direct an ensemble cast film mm. where you can give a perspective to each character. I think it's, you have to be very, very clever about it, but it's a good challenge to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting to challenge yourself on writing. Not that serious, kind of like mm. trying to switch to comedy. I mean, I, I believe comedy is the hardest. Oh, it's so hard to make, you know, make it's somebody totally. laugh, or, you know, it's not easy, exactly. you know, unless, you know, usually they're just kind of stupid gags, you know, but to make yeah. seriously the few films like, uh, or, or artists that can make you laugh probably, yeah. you know, in a kind of yeah. serious way. Absolutely. It's a very hard tone to achieve, mm -hmm. very hard. And it's, um, 
in a way it's about yeah it's about being crude on one like hand it's like being crude with it and how far you can push it and on the other hand it's like how do you stretch it back to being so simple um so i'm really interested in that challenge because i you know i love films like wild tales which as much as they're insane in terms of the situation even in almodovar's films you know there's a tone that's achieved there where there is just this like humorous energy but in the most weird situation <laughs> absurd situation and and now you would you like to talk to us about your so-called unlikely heroes that you portrayed in your, your video films who are they yeah so and when i say unlikely heroes it's, it's seeing characters that we we don't always see on screen that we unlikely connect to and that's terrible english but like sorry <laughs> basically like we just find there's a connection so like <clears throat> for example in um my film yeah bernie which is actually based on my mother i feel as much as you're seeing a character in distress i describe her as an unlikely hero because she has survived something huge Yeah. And it's a character who's at a, I'm very interested in seeing characters at a turning point in their life and look at how they survive. And that's what I mean by the unlikely hero. Like how does a character survive when they've thrown so much has been thrown at them? What what are they going to do about it? How are they going to get out of this? And um it's even in, you know, um like Nadine, for example, Nadine Lambaki's work, which her recent film Cape and Arm. I was hugely inspired by because you have a child who un- you, you completely feel so much for but then also bewildered by the charge they're making to their parents. So in a similar way like I think it's really important for me to to get characters on screen that we don't always see but actually can see ourselves in. So that's that can be like seeing more women of color, seeing more seeing more mothers, seeing more like you know people you could recognize in your family or in your friends um because like that's the thing there's there, there's a notion of what is like a superhero but in our daily lives what is i there's like friends i admire that i could say is like an unlikely hero to me because they they've gone through stuff where i'm like wow i don't know how you did that you know so it's kind of like leveling it at looking at the arbitrary in the most extraordinary way how do you look at your basic life and and look at actually where are those little pockets of gems so i'm really always interested to look at that little pocket of gem in the in the world we're in and and also taking it to spaces that are like tangible but also very untangible um so so yeah i think when when i say that it's like it's a, i'm just i'm it's a duty for me i think I feel I take it as a strong duty to see more people of color, see more women, see more characters that deserve they deserve to have they deserve to have their story told in a way. And definitely, um definitely. I, I love yeah. that kind of stories as well, you know. Yeah. And um and and at the moment apart from your kind of black comedy and it's any kind of teens or issues like kind of looking into explore. In the Themes and issues. So it's interesting. Yeah, I think at the moment so it's okay. So with this ghost story, it's it's actually about letting go. I'm very interested in the subject of letting go at the moment. 
okay. let go and um and I also have some other stories where I'm doing like a revenge story there's not any personal reason <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm attract I, I find often I get attracted to themes um based on a lot of things that happen in my life it's of weird course. Yeah, so like, um, you know, I, I would say the last few films I had was about grief because I was dealing with an immense amount of grief in the last five years. And now at the moment, I'm looking at letting go because I think it's kind of like the progression mm. from that, the progression from that. Because also in this ghost story, like the, the irony I'm trying to look at is you've got two people who are dead, but they have not come to the terms of the fact that their relationship is dead. All right. And that, that is the, that's the thing that they have to cotton on to, is that it's another type of death that they have to experience. Um, breakups are not easy. They're, they're very hard. And they're weird because, in a way, it feels like a death because it's like, this person's not in my life anymore, but they're still in the world, you know? So, so at the moment, I'm looking at a lot of themes that are about letting go in the sense of, realizing it's not an easy journey but that you there has to come a point where you look at yourself and go i can either fight for this more or i have to accept it and move on and accepting and move on is actually really hard it's actually almost harder than fighting on and and it's very human you know it's it's it, that's something i'm i'm always looking at is how we behave as humans whether in the worst way or in the most beautiful way um, it's a yin of yang of each other. Um, I'm also very interested in looking at the dichotomy um, thematically of like having double double roles in your life. So like I have a story at the moment I'm developing which is about an activist and a mother. She's an activist and a mother. And when everything's going well, everyone's backing her. And as soon as something happens wrong, she's attacked as being a bad mother. And it, she's in a situation where she's like, so why is it always a, a thing where I'm both procreating? I get judgments made in that way. And, and I'm interested in that because it's like I have a double responsibility. But then it's like one can outweigh the other and it can have an, a, a universal effect. So, yeah, I'm very interested in looking at where characters, how, what's the situation? Like how, do, how do we go on a journey with a character that has that problem? And how do they get out of it? Um, so at the moment, I'm more playful, I'd say. Less, it's, and my friends are like, you're so obsessed with death, Riffy. It's ridiculous. And I'm like, no, it's not that I'm obsessed with it. I just think I'm obsessed with the circle of, like, the beginning and the end that happens. It's, it's a constant circle. Um. Yeah, okay. Now let's maybe move uh, a little bit more <laughs> to the money. Yeah. How <laughs> oh we make it in reality. Oh, dear. Good question. <laughs> um, you know, congratulations for getting all those deserved screenings and exhibition of your work. And uh, I believe oh, our audience would be interested to know what are the challenges for getting uh, sponsored and uh, getting fundings for your projects here in the UK. Um, if you can describe us, you know, what's the challenges? What's the challenge for women's, you know, if you have other stories as well, now there's lots of kind of debating about uh, women and minority groups working in the yeah. IT industry in the UK. Uh, if you have any experiences, you know, and we, you notice any changes later. Yeah. Um, 
it's look i think i think what i would say is you've got to keep always trying i think being a creative you have to get used to the notion of that you will face rejection a lot and i have i have had it like you will knock on a hundred doors you might have three open okay but you have to keep doing it and um i know when i was in my 20s i used to find it really hard because it's like when you get a rejection it's like oh my god i'm the worst person in the world i don't have anything now it's just like you you have to take the gamble so if, if anything i would say it's about doing research there's actually a lot of opportunities around yes it's true that um obviously at the moment because of what's going on there's a lot of uncertainty because we but what i would say is um there are opportunities out there it's about trying them not all of them will work and i what i will say i've noticed especially in the last three four years is that there are a lot more open calls for female filmmakers and for bme filmmakers which was which wasn't happening so much maybe six seven years ago i think now we are seeing a much bigger shift um but it is about bear in mind it is a thing of you've got to put time into it writing applications is like a job it really is like you have to put a lot of attention and sometimes i get so annoyed with some of the questions they're asking i'm like what why is this relevant da, 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 da. but it's like um what i always say is is do your research like it's always worth reading the the guidelines seeing if you're applicable um don't because that's the thing if it's not well done they won't bother reading it it won't be done like you won't get the attention needed so i would always say like be clear of your intention and be honest with it because even if you have a project that's still embryotic in its idea be honest with it but talk about where you think it could go i think i've learned now i'm much more frank in my applications i'm not trying to sound wanky to be honest i used to do it a lot where i'd be like oh i need to sound like really really cool now i'm like okay this is what i'm trying to do i've got x amount of skills to do this and i need support and i think i think if more people actually were honest and say i need support and i need help if you could do, help me with this this would be amazing um you would find um, I don't I don't want to say you would find more would get supported but I think I certainly feel creatives should feel fearless in the sense of why not try it's worth a try um money wise oh man Luca this is this is a hard one man so you know I would say for the last few years often how I've had to manage is I'm freelancing so in whilst I freelance there have been times where I've had to take on part-time jobs I've been lucky enough in the last few years where I've had freelance gigs where it's like through friends so i was working i mean there was a company i was working for before which is so not great to mention but it was good money and it kind of helped me facilitate my projects on the side what i will say though is i certainly find the dilemma that happens in london is because in the freelance world you can either do really well and get a lot of money and often what happens is people will work for a lot of the time and then they kind of don't do their projects. They get kind of consumed in the lifestyle of what it is, you know, in the commercial world for, for just for certain. Um, but so I think it's important that you take yourself to account and saying, if I'm going to do this, I still need to do my own thing. And you have to kind of like commit to it. Um, I don't, it's, 
it's a hard one because like obviously right now like I'm, I've been lucky enough that I've had a part-time job during this period but I also know a lot of creatives who have been very badly affected in this period and I can, I can I'm sure it can it, de it motivates people it makes them think oh is this worth me doing this career path I think if if you're passionate enough and you believe in yourself you have to fight for it it's not going to be given to you you know even like the fact that I went to NFTS I had it in my head yes I went to this school but this this label is not going to save me I still have to hustle I still have to work hard like everybody else um yes it it helped me evolve but you have to like for example I recently signed with independent talent oh congratulations yeah I've seen uh, that. <laughs> thanks so like that was a huge step for me because I've been looking to sign with an agent for a long time and it felt it felt like the real right time now because what I really liked um, is even agents say, don't sign with an agent if you're not ready. I think a lot of people have this idea that, oh, if I get represented, everything's sorted for me. Actually, it means you have to hustle harder because the only way you're going to make money like the only way they will make money is by you making money okay so if anything it's realizing that it's part and part yes you will have advantages that your agent could do but you're still the person that has to make the work and you're still the person that has to keep pushing so it's it is a thing of like people recognizing that no one will give you the opportunity you have to you almost have to get it so these application processes i almost treat it as I'm gonna try and get that opportunity for me. And and, and how how did it happen? Like to to find this agency? Like uh, did they find you or you found them? So I got introduced. I got introduced through um, a contact from CAA and, and a producer, and um, they basically had come um, to the grad show because when you do your graduation, you have a grad show where you show your, all the films in the cinema. And look, to be honest, you know, when initially um, the lockdown happened, all my meetings got like, psh, it just went dead. I had like probably two weeks of meetings and then everything went dead, right? And it was, it was heartbreaking because it was like, we've worked so hard for two years and then all of a sudden nothing. Um, but luckily I found activity started to change around July, August because at that point, more companies were very clear about who's furloughed, who's not furloughed. Are they able to take new clients? Are they not able to take new clients? Because, So I think one of the things what I did do during the lockdowns, I researched a lot about agents on IMDb Pro. So basically, if you go on IMDb Pro, you can actually, uh, if you type in an agent or the agency, it shows you uh, the number of clients they have, what kind of clients they're representing, and potentially their contact details. Not always, but sometimes. And so that's why I say like, don't go cold calling without doing your research. Do your research. It doesn't take hard, you just need to do a bit of reading into like, what am I, like, what am I asking to be part of, be involved in kind of thing. And because I'd done some research and I had a meeting with her, she really liked my work and basically said, um, you're really eclectic actually because I like doing drama as well as genre and I'm really interested in blending the two and and then it, it, it kind of went from there basically and 
yeah, it was not like they publicly announced this week, and I was like, oh my god, I haven't said it yet. <laughs> which was amazing, and I was I was really really chuffed about it. But like, but if anything, now the pressure I I feel now the pressure is it's about me pushing now. It's not about sitting back and thinking, oh, this is great. No, that's not how it works now. Now it's like, okay, what is it I want to achieve? How do I get there? And um, so that's why I say, like, all of these things can be approachable to anybody. For many years, I didn't think the, did the, thought these things were approachable. I thought they were so at a standard. And I also think a lot of, don't get me wrong, I feel like a lot of female ma filmmakers do this, where they are quite hard on themselves, where they think, and I know for me, I was like that. I was so hard on myself where I didn't think I was capable to do it. And that has changed so much now, where I'm like, actually, I think I am more than capable to do it. Um, so you have to believe in yourself. And keep pushing. Yeah, keep pushing. Like, basically, keep hustling. Like, keep making, keep creating. Don't, don't look for... I think the mistake sometimes happens is people, and especially because of our social media times, everyone's like, we need an audience, we need this. Yes, you need an audience to your work, but the affirmation of that is um, that's, that's not the be all or end all. The affirmation you're gonna get is by you trying, trying, trying to a point that you're like, I think I've grown, I can see the shift. And you will see naturally people will start to attract to your work kind of thing. So I'm quite transcendental in that kind of stuff where I'm like, I believe you can manifest better if you put in. And, and Going back to your studies, how was studying in Central St. Martins and the NFTS? Um, was art kind of <laughs> access? Was it worth doing these studies? Um, okay, so look, I, I would say, look, I, if someone said to me, do you have to go to these places? I would say, no, you don't. You don't have to. Um, I was lucky enough that I was able to go there and I was very grateful to go there. Um, but also bear in mind when I was in art school, this was before the, the fees went up. So this was when a, de a degree at that time cost you £3,000. Now it costs you nearly £30,000 to do a three-year degree. That's how crazy it's got. So um, what I will say, I'm grateful for what happened to me in art school, was that it triggered, it triggered the interest into cinema. Like, it was in me, but I didn't... It kind of awoke something. And I think some of those spaces can be great for that. Um, what I will say is now, the world is slightly different. There's a lot more things on access. Um, there's there's even, like... Um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll try and send you the link. I have to find the name. But there's, like, uh, there's this, like, free film school online. There's the No Film School website as well, where it gives tips. So I think because of the more digital esque nature of the world you'll probably find a lot of resources are accessible um so it's not necessary but what i would say people need to do is create space to make so what i will say uh central set martins and nfts did it gave me a space to fail and succeed and i needed that it was two years where i was like this is a place where i'm going to try everything and I liked that. I enjoyed that because um, 
it wasn't the pressure of going, oh, I need to be an award-winning filmmaker at the end of this. It was more of like, how do I test myself? How do I get better? How do I try something? And um, so, so what I would say to people is that if you, if you don't go to the schools, that's absolutely fine, but test yourself. If that even means like a weekend or like a, a month where you give yourself the space where you say, I want to do this, go for it. But you have to make the space. It won't happen otherwise. And there are a couple of more questions, so we just sure. wrap it up. Um, how, sure. do you, how do you find living and working in London? What it's, do you find any challenges? <laughs> do you like the challenge? I mean, yeah. I mean, look, in London, what my biggest love with London is, look, how there's so many people from all over the world. We met in London, you know, like it's, it's, a, it's an amazing city in that sense. What annoys me about the city is you have to have money to enjoy it. That's what freaking annoys me. Um, yeah, I think London is an incredible place and there's a lot of creativity here. Uh, what upsets me is the fact that it's just getting financially un unsustainable, basically. And and it restricts, I it can restrict creativity in that sense. Um, but yeah, I think basically what I would say is have, having worked here, I've enjoyed it a lot. And actually during the, the lockdown, I've really appreciated parts of London that I didn't appreciate before. Like even walking in the city where it was completely empty. And I was like, wow, the city looks so beautiful. I'm actually like dreading when it's going to get really busy again. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think, I think it's a really cool place. And I think there's a lot you can do here there's a lot of opportunities also like film wise they're gonna they're gonna build the Dagenham studios soon so like it's definitely a hub for creativity and films my only my only concern that's happening for London and the country to be honest is that with Brexit and with things like coronavirus I feel it will lose its beauty because people will go back and I don't want that I feel like this, this country is better because we have so many amazing voices. Um, so I, that's the, the thing that makes me nervous, is that if we lose that, because otherwise it's just going to be really boring. Yeah, that, that was the main worry for me as well with Brexit, especially that, you know, that um, it won't attract as many talents as before, you know. Yeah, uh, and you're seeing it in music festivals where a lot of musicians can't come in. And I'm like, so what, do you just want the one type of musician in this country? Like, may, may pole dancers or what? Like, I don't get it, you know? Uh, it's, a, it's a country that celebrates music. There's been amazing musicians that have come from this country. But also, it, yeah, I feel I'm saddened by the fact that there is this overbearing weirdness of whether we'll lose that. And I really hope we don't, because I look, all of my friends in London are from all over the world. I'm living with two friends who are from Catalan. I have friends from Germany. Like I, I'm proud of the fact that we have like little flags of each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? In, in, in different, you, all your friends are from different places. Um, so yeah, I just pray, I pray that doesn't disappear. Yeah, I hope, to, you know, yeah, that's, that's, that's well, that we realize anyway that England is made of all these different influences. That's what is yeah. commercially viable. The fact that, you know, we have such a mix and we are kind of avant-garde on that, you know, because, you know, mixing culture, living people living in different kind of um, places where they're born actually brings 
and influence each other, different communities, bring something special. And that's, sure. that's so important, you know, that's what's, what should be so important to keep it open because that's, as I say, that it's also the, the shop window of England, you know, yeah. or, uh, the arts Absolutely. here. So and the mixing is so important. But now talking yeah. about a little bit of uh, these times on pandemic days and is any new worries or challenges or is anything positive coming from this? I think what, what I do think is coming positive from, from COVID-19, I actually feel like we were, basically we were forced to stop. And I, I think that was actually good because I actually really realized, I certainly for me, and I know a lot of people I've spoken to, our normality wasn't quite normal. It wasn't quite right. I think, I think, especially in cities, big cities, I think people were working so hard or playing hard and they weren't quite having this like me, like middle space of like facing themselves. And so I certainly found there was a silver lining. Like, look, there's definitely the, the most negative thing is that it's a horrendous virus and many people have died. Like it's absolutely tragic in that sense. But what I, I think the, the turning point it did create is that it made you stop and think. And it made you kind of reflect on your life and look at like, what do I want? And actually, what are the things around me that I'm not appreciating right now? I really realised that a lot. Like, I, re I, I appreciate so much about my family. Um, things like, I, had, I spoke to my dad more recently than I did in two years because I'd been working like a mad person. And, and actually, that was so nice. Like, just hearing something he told me about when he was 17. And I was like, oh, I so appreciated that. Because two years ago, I'd be like, Dad, I've really got to go. I'll talk to you later. And it's... it's it's not right, you know? I'm, I'm glad I'm giving that time. Um, and also, what I do think, I really hope people see in the film industry is that there's a lot of things that have been going on in the film industry that need to change. And that is from the, the, the opportunity. It's basically, it's like the key decision makers out there. So what they're funding, the people they're supporting, um, the voices that should be celebrated, like, I, th I hope that if I'm... And I think something did kind of happen, because of, especially when... Um, with the, the George, George Floyd murder, um, and I say murder because that's what it was, um, when the whole thing with Black Lives Matter, and that is still very much a thing, it's not uh, a trend, it's, it's happening all the time, you did see a massive reaction. And, and, I, and I think... You know, there were places like BAFTA, L'Oreal, these companies making, like, an anti-racism claim that oh we make a commitment my thing is like no i want to see action uh, we want to see like how we take this to account and it's been interesting because i think there are a few different institutions who are starting to wake up a little bit they are starting to think about actually how many hod's do we have that are more representative how many ceos of this and i think look as filmmakers and creatives it's important that we keep pushing but I also believe until some of those key decision makers do not get changed, we're going to have the same fight. But what we do have to do is keep being visible. We have to be visible and we have to keep saying, not say it's a problem, it's more saying, here's a voice, you should be celebrating this. It's like, how do you make a negative into a positive kind of thing? So, so what I do think is happening is people are talking more. 
um, um, you know, the whole Zoom thing, I'm not going to lie, I hated it at first. But what I will say is I've spoken to a lot of friends overseas that I haven't spoken to in a long time. And um, so I hope, I really hope that people continue to keep talking. They keep connected. Like, I won't lie, I missed having a hug for so long. I realised just even sitting with your friends, having a drink, not, it doesn't matter about the conversation, just seeing how someone laughs, how someone pushes. I missed it so much and I was like, oh man, it's not about the filmmaking at this point, I just miss connection, you know? So I hope, I hope people can see that that's what, that is what we should be fighting for, to keep connected. Okay, thank you very much. I think uh, we can close with this. <laughs> what a nice point. Um, great chatting with you, Arifi. Uh, good oh, luck. Thanks, uh, good luck uh, for, your, for your projects and your new work. Um, hopefully, you've been inspired by Arifi's stories today. If you'd like to hear more stories from artists, get notified when new episodes are published by following CarpeDM on social media. And please subscribe to the podcast from your favorite favorite app uh, Carpe Diem's all the main streaming platforms like Spotify Apple iTunes Google Podcast iTunes I say again <laughs> and many more if you use iTunes it would be appreciated if you could leave an, a review it will help Carpe Diem to rank up and search as um, these artists deserve to be heard you can find direct links to apps and social media at the podcast website Carpe Diem.podbean.com and also there will be Riffy um, link uh, to our work uh, website and the description of the episode. Uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, to the next one. Ciao.